turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The name Jackie Robinson is synonymous with breaking down barriers, which he did throughout his life. Today's guest, Sharon Robinson, is the daughter of the baseball legend and civil rights icon. Growing up, Sharon experienced some of the most important events in history, including the March on Washington. She is the author of numerous children's books that honor her father's accomplishments and legacy. Sharon is an educational consultant for Major League Baseball and currently serves as vice chairman of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. She is the founder of Breaking Barriers, a baseball-themed program that helps empower students to overcome obstacles in their lives. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Joan. It sounds like um, change your attitude, change your life. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I think it fits right in with with who I am as well. <laughs> well, that's great, you know, because your life, really, if you think about it, it has been all about change. Your, your father... Yeah broke barriers that changed the lives of so many that followed. And it's been said that his life and legacy will be remembered as one of the most important in American history. So what can you tell us about your father? What was he like? Well, uh, he was a great dad um, on on multiple levels. So uh, with me, I was his only daughter. So we had a a unique relationship and a special one. And uh, he taught me uh, many things, but he also told me in in, in every way he could um, that he was you know, my supporter, and he was loved me unconditionally, and we could talk about you know just about anything, even you know really personal stuff. So that was important to me. Uh, and in 1963, which this uh, my new book is is based around the year 1963, you know, it was uh, a turning point for me, both personally and moving into my teenage years, for my family um, as we sort of readjusted and and became involved in the civil rights movement as a family and um, handled, had to handle, you know, personal family struggles. So um, that unconditional love, you know, was really critical to my, uh, my development. So you just mentioned your new book, which is entitled Child of the Dream, a memoir of 1963. And when people think about the dreams that they have in life, they, you know, we we always expect these obstacles. And and your father certainly had to overcome so many of them. Did you ever see him defeated or did you ever hear him say, I just can't do this anymore? Not that I can't do it anymore. No, I never heard him say that. What I heard him say is I'm being tested. You know, mm-hmm. when when life was really challenging, and you know, he um, his struggles in baseball were nothing in comparison to you know his struggles with diabetes, for example, or um, you know with his oldest son, um, you know, not not being able to reach him. So uh, there were some personal obstacles that you know could have defeated someone, uh, but who my dad you know just found ways to manage it uh, and continue to um, reach other people. And, and so he never, he was never defeated. Well, I think the way that you just described, he reframed it to say, I'm being tested rather than 
I'm defeated or this is something I can't do because in your mind, when you view it as a test, it's something that you're able, I think, more readily to overcome than as saying this is something that has defeated me and I'm done. Yeah, well, no, he 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 was not the type to be done. You know, he and and, and didn't teach us to um, be defeated. You know, we, we taught us to to fight on. Mm-hmm. You know, fight back, um, stay in the struggle. Um, that was my dad. That was my mom, and that's what we were taught as children. And it helped us in our personal struggles as well as professional professional work. And so it's it's been part of my life values. Sharon, you had access to people and events that most can only dream about. For example, you attended the March on Washington as guests of Martin Luther King Jr. When did you understand the importance of the life you were living? How old were you? You know, John, it's a a gradual process. Um, I began to understand life differently when I saw the Jackie Robinson story at around age, age eight or nine, um, and my dad placed himself in that original movie. I knew nothing about his early baseball years and that struggle, and I didn't really understand racism at that point. Um, my father, uh, when he would travel for the, for the movement, uh, travel for the NAACP, later traveling for SCLC, Southern uh, Christ, Christian Leadership Council with Dr. King, um, he would come back, and our dining room table was our, you know, was a forum, was a discussion um, that went on. Uh, luckily, my, I was still very young when my dad retired from baseball, so he, whenever possible, we had dinner together at our home in Stanford, Connecticut, um, and we used that time to formulate who we were as a family and what the family mission would be. And that was all established by my parents and my dad bringing home stories from his travels and helping us understand that we had a role to play in, in the movement and and a family mission that had to be defined. And, and it really charted the way for the rest of my life. You know, we today my brother and I are on the board of directors of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. Uh, we both have personal work uh, that is mission-driven and where we've helped to uh, change communities, change individuals. And so it, it started when we were kids, um, and it started with the vision that my parents had for us as a family. Sharon, you just mentioned that you were growing up in Connecticut. So being raised in a wealthy Connecticut neighborhood with all that was going on in the world around you, what was that like for you? Did you feel like you fit in? I did as a child, as a young child. Um, I I loved our I loved nature. I loved the fact that we had access to nature all around us. I loved the freedom that it gave us to live uh, more in the country. I was very um, much involved with animals. <laughs> I had a horse, and I worked in a farm nearby. Um, you know, as a child, I had a very great best friend who lived down the street. And, you know, I had my, not only my parents, but I had my grandmother and I had um, Willette Bailey, who was like a second mother to me. So um, I didn't, you know, I, it wasn't so much about life of privilege. It was a life of freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, I was able to just get on my horse and go ride throughout the, the neighborhoods um, and I, or we could go exploring in the woods. We could go swimming in the pond, uh, you know, ice skating. Our parents had to supervise. My dad had to test the ice floor. We could go ice skating, but we then went freely ice skating. Um, and and it, it just, it was amazing. Um, it wasn't until we became te- started to become teenagers or enter our teenage years that that life became more complex. Because at that point um, in, in our culture, in American culture in in the North, um, where we didn't have Jim Crow segregation, but we had a different type of segregation. So that childhood play was fine, but as we became teenagers, um, the black and white kids branched off into in separate into separate groups. And yet we were still going to school with predominantly we were still going to predominantly white schools. So it wasn't until high school that there was a shift, and that was because Stanford was trying to break down school segregation, uh, and they started off with the high schools as I was going into high school, and w- it started off with busing. 
So I was literally bused downtown to the family black school to help integrate it with my white neighbors um, in Stanford, in northern Stanford. So, What do you think that experience did for you? How did it shape your future? It made me a both um, socially and politically astute. Uh, it made me uh, care for people uh, who from different parts of the world and and uh, wanting to uh, embrace differences as opposed to wanting to keep um, each of these groups separated. Um, so it was it was fundamental to my you know beliefs as an adult you know, mm-hmm. that that's where we should go and need to go and continue to grow as a nation and as a world. Sharon, tell us about breaking barriers. What is the mission? Well, in 1997, um, I joined um, the commissioner's office as an educational consultant and worked with Scholastic and people at Major League Baseball to develop a curriculum that would teach kids that barrier obstacles were part of life. So I wasn't only talking about racial barriers. We were talking about you know any kind of barrier that children could identify um, as, as their, their barrier. And it uh, culminated after the curriculum, and, and I use my dad's story as an example of a barrier, a, a barrier breaker, but really encouraging kids to tell their own story. And that was done through a national essay contest. So we're actually in our 24th year, um, and that's you know it's been an amazing program um, to merge baseball and values and children and Jackie Robinson and you know and then having them and literacy. Um, so after the essay contest, um, we would go out into the community and visit schools to, and congratulate and bring prizes to the winners. But um, sometimes I, you know, some years I was able to bring players into the classroom with me as we expanded more nationally. You know, that wasn't possible. So we started, whenever possible, bringing kids over to ballparks and letting them meet some of the players. So there always was this direct tie into baseball, and the grand prize winners are, to this day, uh, recognized at the uh, World Series and at the All-Star Game dur- during All-Star, All-Star Week. Um, so it's just been an amazing program where, you know, over millions of kids have have shared with us their story and, and has changed um, their relationship with their teachers, with their parents, with their peers, uh, and with themselves. So, um, you know... A lot of those kids, or a number of those kids, stay in touch, or or will check in as they um, mature mature into being adults, and that's always um, an incredible experience to hear back from some of those kids. I heard from one uh, last night uh, sent me a text to tell me she's grad- graduating a year early and she wants to apply to Yale, and she knew that I <laughs> once taught at Yale, and so she was, and that that was her dream school when I met her when she was in uh, eighth grade. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to hear from her and be able to support this decision to apply to Yale. And so, you know, it, it's it's been incredible work and it fits in with the work I did as a nurse midwife because a, a lot of my work there as a midwife was um, with teenage girls and who were now pregnant and I needed, I wanted to help them with this transition into motherhood, but also encourage them to continue to develop themselves, stay in school, you know, be prepared so that they could really support this child and continue to grow, grow as individuals. The book is Child of the Dream, a memoir of 1963. If you'd like more information about Sharon and her work, you can visit Sharon Robinson, Inc. That's I-N-K, SharonRobinsonInc.com. Sharon, in our final moments, if you could sum it up or even bullet point it, what are some of the values that were demonstrated by your father that you think can help people break down barriers and overcome challenges? Well, I have to start with, uh, with courage, um, integrity. You know, many lessons um, my father taught me about integrity, including the 1960 presidential campaign where we had a discussion about why he was not supporting John F. Kennedy and he was supporting Nixon over Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my mm-hmm. lesson on, on commitment and and integrity. Um, he had made a promise and he was seeing it through. 
So um, based on his own research, uh, also, um, you know, it all builds towards being excellent, you know, so um, being persistent and, and determined and, um, have, you know, kind of setting goals through uh, your determination. Um, all of those are important, have been important to my, were important to my dad and are, are important to children today and certainly were important in my life. Sharon, thank you so much for spending time with us. Your father has been quoted as saying, a life is not important except in the impact it has on others. And that is such an important lesson for all of us to learn. So thank you for being here and for sharing your father's legacy and a bit about your life with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Cancer is reported to be the second leading cause of cancer death in the U.S. for men and women combined. Yet, most adults are not getting screened. Joining us today to talk about this disease and the importance of early detection is Dr. Lisa Boardman, an assistant professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and a consultant in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology. Welcome, Dr. Boardman. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me here to talk about uh, this important topic. And you're right, it is very important, doctor, because it's been reported that colon cancer claimed more than 50,000 lives last year. Can you briefly explain what colon cancer is and how it progresses? So colorectal cancer is uh, abnormal growth of cells in the colon of um, the glandular epithelium or lining, and it is a cancer that starts there and that can then spread uh, to different parts of the body in, in its most advanced stages. Are there usually early warning signs? So I think an important message about colorectal cancer prevention is that in most cases, people don't develop warning signs too early. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have signs when they've got colorectal cancer of developing bleeding per rectum or dark tarry stools, abdominal pain, maybe a change in their bowel habits, maybe weight loss. But the important, most important thing and what I hope that um, people will hear and really, um, you know, take to heart is that colon cancer is one of those rare cancers where we actually can remove the precancerous polyp and prevent the cancer from even developing. And that's just such a better time to intervene. So understanding that prevention is key, what are some of the types of screenings that are available? So there are a variety of them. One is colonoscopy, um, which is the test where the colon has to be cleansed and then uh, the provider inserts a video tube and looks inside of the colon and removes polyps or takes biopsies of cancer seen. And then there are several stool-based tests. One of them is called the FIT or fecal immunochemical test. 
and that's where a stool sample gets evaluated to see if there's evidence of uh, blood breakdown products in um, the stool. And then a uh, more recently developed one is a targeted DNA test that combines the FIT test, but it also takes the stool sample and it looks for DNA changes from DNA that is actually collected from the stool itself because the cancer or polyps actually shed their cells into the stool and they're able to detect that and then they have a particular molecular signature that they can identify that can help uh, to identify the person who might have colon polyps or cancer. And there's also um, a CT colonography, which is a type of CAT scan that is able to reconstruct uh, and make a video that is able to see the inside of the colon and identify where there might be polyps or cancer. Doctor, you always hear people complaining about the thought of having a colonoscopy done. It's something that a lot of people really dread doing. So for the average person Mm -hmm. who is in good health and doesn't have a history of colon cancer, is the fecal test or a cologuard screening, is that a viable option? Absolutely. I I think, again, an important message is to do some type of colorectal cancer screening. And the using those options that I just mentioned, including the the Cologuard test, the FIT test, are are really viable options. How often should a person be tested and, and when should the screening begin? So screening should for certain begin by age 50, and that's if a person's average risk, that they don't have a family history of colon cancer in a relative under 60 that's a first-degree relative, like a parent, a sibling, or a child, or they don't have some type of hereditary condition, or they don't have inflammatory bowel disease. So for those people that are called average risk and they're not having symptoms, um, all of the guidelines for sure start them by age 50. However, for people, uh, there has been an increased incidence of colorectal cancer in people under the age of 50. And so one society, the American Cancer Society, has actually now endorsed starting that screening process at age 45. And for African-American people, the recommendation is to have screening start at age 45. Why do you think the incidence rate is rising? Does it have something to do with our diet? It could. Um, there, that answer is really not known at this point. There's a lot of, um, it appears not to be from a hereditary, hereditary conditions. Her, known hereditary conditions only account for 20% of the young onset colon cancer cases, but there have been associations that have suggested there could be environmental things, and diet is certainly one that could be a culprit. There's also been associations um, potentially with people who live a more sedentary life, so um, decreased activity, um, even down to the level of too much television watching has been associated with, in some studies, with an increased risk for younger people getting colon cancer. So having a healthy diet, exercising, having our screenings done, is there anything else that we should be doing? Um, It basically is living a healthy lifestyle. I think the focus about trying to avoid, like in terms of dietary, um, processed meat, red meat, trying to limit that to maybe a couple times a month, those have been associated um, with a, a better chance of not developing colon cancer. Another dietary thing is uh, definitely high in vegetable diet, trying to get the five to seven servings of vegetables and some fruits um, have been associated. So those are things that people can do, maybe a little more specific about diet. With prevention being so important, why do you believe so many people aren't getting tested? I think that there's probably a couple, at least a couple of reasons. One may be a fear of finding out they have something wrong with them. And, you know, the message here is it's better to find out you have a polyp and remove it than to wait till you develop symptoms because that polyp has transformed to cancer. And so that is a really uh, important part of prevention. And then I think another thing is the colon and kind of bowel habits and everything have a bit of a stigma associated with them. People don't want to discuss it. Um, And I think a fear, particularly if you were to get colonoscopy, people don't look forward to having to take a bowel prep to cleanse their colon, Um, kind of the invasiveness feeling of having a colonoscopy, um, just fear about that. Um, So I think, again, stressing that there are options so that you don't have to not do the screening because you're just so afraid of doing colonoscopy. And any final thoughts? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, I think it's so important, again, to, like, discuss it 
in your family, know your family history, and, and to not be afraid of prevention. And if your doctor doesn't bring it up, you bring it up that you want to be screened. And again, thank you so much and for contributing to our awareness about colorectal cancer. And thank you so much for joining us and sharing this life-saving information. We'll be right back. With all the different types of diets found in the media and on the market today, which type of diet is right for you? Hello, I'm Dr. Kyle Appuccino, chiropractic physician and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Adkins, Mediterranean, South Beach, SlimFast, Dash, Weight Watchers, Ketogenic or Herbalife, to name just a few. This list seems seemingly endless, so where do you begin? Firstly, recognize why you're starting a diet. Is it to lose those unwanted pounds, to fit into a dress or pair of pants, or because your primary doctor has advised you that it's in your best interest to lose weight? Secondly, understand how much your health, or lack thereof, affects those around you. Your choice has a ripple effect across many lives, not just your own. Thirdly, decide which type of diet will be best for you, and remain consistent with it. A diet is not about giving up the things that you love. Rather, it's a path to get and stay healthy. The word diet itself has a Greek origin meaning a way of life. So make your diet fun and interesting. Be able to identify if you're losing water, protein, muscle, or fat. A scale can identify weight loss, but may not be able to show you exactly what you're losing. Each type of diet has its own unique nuances. So make a well thought out decision and be sure to do your research following the data, not just television commercials. For more helpful information on a diet that is right for you, please give me a call at 973-832-6722. Or you can find me online at healthonmain.info. I'm Dr. Kyle Abshina, chiropractic physician, health and nutrition coach, and founder of Health on Main Wellness Center, located right here in Little Falls, New Jersey. Have you recently found a love interest through an online dating site, but something just doesn't feel right? You might be the victim of a romance scam. Hi, I'm Dan Coleman, professional investigator and founder of Creative Solutions Investigative Services. I'm often called upon to confirm the identity of a person someone met through an online dating website. Unfortunately, their stories always end with a new love interest asking for money. These skilled scammers set up fake profiles on dating sites geared toward mature or Christian singles with the romancing starting quickly. They present themselves as a thoughtful, caring, and loving individual who is looking for their soulmate. They're very skilled at what they do. They ask a lot of questions about what you want from your life. The scammer then takes that information and creates a dream world telling you all the things you've always wanted to hear. The courting period could take place over several weeks or even months. Once they've established a relationship, then the scamming begins. In all cases, the plea for financial assistance is the key to the scam. If you suspect you or someone you love are the victim of a romance scam, don't be embarrassed. These people are very skilled at what they do. There are websites devoted to protecting victims of romance scams. Don't hesitate to report them to these websites or call the FBI Internet Crime Compliance Center. If you need more information or assistance, you can reach me, Dan Coleman, through my website, csinvestigations.info. Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words. However, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half full in all situations and others who see it as half empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So, how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim. The choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions, and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. 
Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy use guided relaxation, intense concentration, and focused attention to achieve a heightened state of awareness. Joining us today to talk about hypnotherapy and its benefits is Mary Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner and founder of Metro Hypnosis Center and A Path of Peace, located in Oradell, New Jersey. Mary is the author of Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, clear your mind, and step into your power. Welcome, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan, for having me. So, Mary, I just mentioned two terms in the introduction, hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Is there a difference between the two? Joan, that's a great question. Hypnosis and hypnotherapy work together. Hypnosis is what the introduction to the hypnotherapy would be. So hypnosis is really relaxing you, saying positive thoughts into the mind, getting into that deep, relaxed state. Hypnotherapy is the deeper work where we're looking within to really clear the blocks. So Mary, when we hear about hypnotherapy, we think of the times that we may have seen someone being given a suggestion like barking like a dog or following other types of commands. And that scares people. They think they're going to lose control. I know that was the case the first time I was coming to you for a session. I was Googling it the night before because I had no idea what you were going to do to me the next day. So can you explain hypnosis to us and how it works? And Joan, you're not alone in that thought. Most people come to me a little unsure of what hypnosis really is going to be. And I like to explain hypnosis just like a daydream state. I like to break it down to something we all do every day. So when we're in a daydream state, we're focused on that thought, but we hear everything in the background. That's very similar to hypnosis. It's just a little deeper, but just like in a daydream state, you're aware, you hear everything that's going on, and you are in control. So you can't make us cluck like a chicken if we choose not to. Exactly right, Joan. You won't cluck like a chicken unless you want to. So if you took 20 people on stage, a few of them will do the antics, whatever it is, because they're okay with that. But most of us wouldn't. So we'll just sit quietly by the side or they'll just kind of push us off the stage because they're only going to focus on the people who are open to doing the antics they ask. So studies today are showing that hypnotherapy has many benefits. Can you share some of those benefits with us? Joan, I'm so excited to share the benefits of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. It is really unlimited in what you can do with this work. If you just want to get into positive mindset, which is very important to change, that could be just phase one of it. But if you have traumas or you have fears or phobias that you need to release to move forward, then this work is just wonderful to do that. It's so beneficial with grief, with anger, with sadness, with anxiety, with stress, sports hypnosis, medical hypnosis. That's why I call hypnosis unlimited. And Mary, is it safe? Joan, it's very safe. The only thing I would just recommend for people is to make sure uh, the person you're working with has the training, the proper training, but it is very safe and effective work. And there's no side effects of like the drugs would give you. So it's all natural and it's really about clearing the mind. What type of person would be a good candidate for hypnotherapy? You always tell me that I'm able to go in very easily. So is there something about me that makes me a good candidate? Most people can go into hypnosis and most people have experienced it on some level, whether it's a daydream or if you're driving somewhere and you get somewhere and you don't realize how you got there. You're in a hypnotic state. So most people can do it. Sometimes it's the openness or the fear if you don't want to lose control or something like that. But 
I always um, meet with people beforehand and chat, talk to them and make sure they're educated on what it is. So then when they do the work, they are confident and comfortable with the process. That's really what it is, is educating people on the process, making sure they're comfortable with it, and then they can relax and, and go into that relaxed state. So part of your goal is to empower people to be able to do self-hypnosis. What is self-hypnosis? And would someone like me or, or anyone who's doing this, would we be able to get the same benefits that we would by working with a professional like you? Joan, self-hypnosis is just a relaxed state. I call it a shortcut to get into the meditative state. So all we're doing with self-hypnosis is really teaching you how to clear the mind. And when you clear the mind, then you can go into that relaxed state because that's what hypnosis is all about. There are many benefits to doing the self-hypnosis, and you can certainly do that on your own. But you would need, if you want the deeper work that hypnotherapy can give, then you need the professional. But everyone can learn to be calm, to clear that mind, and get into that peaceful state, which will benefit everyone. Can you teach us something now that we would be able to do on our own? I think the breath is the biggest thing to show people. It's the beginning of a lot of my inductions for people in hypnosis. But the breath, we we all know about breathing because we're breathing all day. But what we're doing is taking short breaths, and it's not relaxing us. But I think of a breath like a pause. So I always use the breath when I'm dealing with weight loss, smoking, or any other issue where we need to take that pause in life. So if you all just would sit on a chair, have your um, get comfortable in the chair, and all you have to do is take a nice deep breath in. And you want to let your belly really come out with the breath. So you just would breathe in through the nose, so we can just do that now. And you want to let that belly out. And now you want to breathe out through the mouth. And you can practice this. You can do this four or five times, six times. You could do it once. It's a great thing. Let's say you're going to have a public presentation today and you're a little nervous. You can be in the conference room. You can be waiting to be called and just take that breath. So it's usable in anything that you do that you need a little more calm and peace for the day. So Mary, you're the author of the new book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, Relax, Clear Your Mind, and Step Into Your Power. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Joan, I call my book a beautiful book. It's written with love, compassion, comfort, and peace. My book, of course, teaches people how to do self-hypnosis and educates them on hypnosis. But what's special about my book is that each chapter is written in a letter format, so it allows me to be personal to you, my dearest one, who is the reader, who's, who's actually reading the book. So I share my story of how I had loss and how hypnosis helped me heal because there's such healing in hypnosis if you allow it to happen, if you're open and ready for it. And that's what my book shows by my story and how I truly transformed. I changed my life 360 degrees and hypnosis was part of that because a big part of this is creating the positive thoughts, creating that positive mindset. And I didn't realize how negative I was before. I changed my life with clearing the mind, creating positive thoughts, and then moving forward. A lot of people are stuck, and this book shows you how you can move forward on your journey in life. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about Mary and her work, or if you'd like to get a copy of her new book, Transformation Through Hypnosis, you can visit her websites, metrohypnosiscenter.com or apathofpeace.com. Mary, in our final moments, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like to leave the listeners with the thought of hypnosis, that it brings such calm, relaxation, and peace into your life, and to be open for the unlimited possibilities, because that's what you tap into when you tap into hypnosis and your own self. Mary, thank you so much for joining us. On a personal note, you have helped me on my journey. You've helped me manage grief. You've helped me to move through a lot of different situations that I've encountered in life. And, you know, at first, as I said, I was skeptical about hypnotherapy. I didn't know a lot about it. 
but you know, I did my research, I've worked with you, and it really has had a profound impact on my life and on my healing. So again, if you'd like to get more information about Mary, please visit MetroHypnosisCenter.com or APathOfPeace.com. Mary, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Many of us have so many responsibilities in life that we forget to take care of our personal needs. We're all less able to handle the stresses that come our way when we're already depleted by physical and emotional exhaustion. We're at our best when we're feeling good, both physically and mentally. Hi, this is Angela Vlachonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. People who neglect their own needs and forget to nurture themselves are at risk for higher levels of unhappiness, low self-esteem, and feelings of resentment. As a group, caregivers are at a higher risk of getting burnt out and need to make a point of practicing self-care. Taking time out to care for yourself reminds you and others that your needs are important too. Remember to take a holistic look at your care, meaning body, mind, and soul. Regular exercise, going for walks in nature, taking a class in a subject that interests you, and getting in touch with your inner self all contribute to a greater sense of well-being. Remember, self-care and nurturing isn't an indulgence, it's a necessity. For more information on stress management coaching and seminars for work and personal development, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com, 646-418-5650. When it comes to social media, have you planned to plan to make a plan? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Why do we put off planning? Do we think the magical brownies are going to come and do a social media plan for us? If so, those brownies are so slacking. Planning involves content creation, timing, and posting, and then seeing how it interacts with your business. I highly recommend using a piece of paper or hop on your computer and just write out all the ideas you have for social media that are in your head walk away. Then come back and write some more. Don't worry about what you've just written. Don't worry if it's a brain dump. Just get the ideas on paper and get started. That's what's important. Once you've got everything down that you had in your head, see if common themes start to pop up. Maybe you like motivational quotes. Maybe you like to give advice. Maybe you want to teach or share your knowledge. Maybe you like to share jokes. These are all good starts. Then get out a calendar and start to put those down in an order. See how it lays out and if it seems to make sense to you. And don't forget to plan to talk about your business. If you need help with your social media for your business, give us a call. You can check out our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures. Get social with Sue. In today's supercharged do-it-now world, convenience is key. Now, you can listen to Conversations with Joan at a time that's best for you. Simply visit your favorite podcast site, search for Conversations with Joan, and subscribe. New shows drop every Monday. You can also access the podcast through our website, cyacyl.com. Start your week on a positive note. Listen to Conversations with Joan. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a certified transition coach, reinvention expert, and speaker who empowers people who are stuck, overwhelmed, or ready for change to release the struggle, gain clarity, and evolve to their highest purpose as they move through life's challenges and transitions. Linda is here today to discuss how you can step into your personal power. Hi, Linda. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Joan. It's always great to be here. Linda, some people believe that power is bad, and they believe it's like forcing your will upon another person. Can you explain why some may think this way? You know, Joan, thanks for bringing that up. I think it's important to first recognize and put to rest the old paradigm around power, which equated to being forceful or controlling. The new paradigm around power, especially personal power, means stepping into our truth, 
our highest potential, the thing that we were brought here to do and be and share with others. And this includes taking control of your powerful subconscious brain. I believe we all deserve and are worthy of claiming our personal power. Doing so actually creates quite the opposite experience from being forceful, controlling, or overbearing. Now, granted, a child or an emotionally mature individual might use their personal power to bully, coerce, or force others to do things that are mean-spirited, ill-advised, divisive, or that cause injury. But most healthy and intellectually mature people use their personal power for the betterment of humanity without causing any conflict or hurt feelings. In fact, when our personal power is intact, we're neither overbearing or submissive because we're clear on how our personal power impacts those around us. And so we become more sensitive and respectful. Boldly stepping into our personal power allows us to realize that we and everyone around us are worthy of striving for our highest potential. There's no good reason to be fearful or ashamed of claiming your own personal power. Linda, you just mentioned stepping into our personal power. What does that mean and why is it so important? So as we grow into and claim our personal power, it means we're getting clear on our individual gifts and strengths and realize that we have the ability to author our own life. We discover ways to evolve to our highest potential. When we take responsibility for our lives, you know, our thoughts, decisions, and actions, but mostly our thoughts, by tapping into the power of the subconscious brain, we are in our personal power. That's when we recognize what we're especially good at. When we make use of these gifts or share these gifts with the world, we're claiming our personal power. We're communicating from a place of authenticity, ease, and passion. Each of us have gifts, talents, talents, and strengths that make us uniquely who we are. I really believe it's our job to define, create, and actually step into the role that makes us feel most at home. When we do, we're in our personal power. For some, that means using their skill of reaching and teaching children. For others, it's being creative or using their people skills to create change. And it's not necessarily the job that you're in because unfortunately, many of us are not in jobs that highlight our gifts. So we need to find other ways to claim our personal power. When we tune in to what our unique talents are and create a way to share them, we've stepped into our personal power. Most importantly, claiming your own personal power means you have recognized that you are in control of your thoughts and actions because you have figured out what subconscious thoughts limit you and you've decided not to be ruled by them. So instead, you create and live by empowering thoughts that support the life you want to live. So Linda, you coach other people on how to do this. Can you share a few tips with us? Yeah, sure. So first of all, I want to say you don't need to be an extrovert or a leader to step into your personal power. And a really good place to start is by listing the things you love. What topics can you discuss for hours without ever getting bored? What kind of things did you enjoy as an adolescent that still feel good? What subjects touch your heart, stir your emotions, or ignite your passion? What comes really easy for you? List all your gifts. List what topics people come to you for help with. Think about the major challenges you've faced and the skills you use to overcome those hurdles. By doing so, you'll likely have some big insights or aha moments that can help you claim your personal power. And once you realize what excites you, create goals to get you closer to bringing those things into your life every day. Many people look to life coaches to help them with this, but this part you might even be able to do on your own. Reflect on the thoughts and beliefs that keep you from taking action and then create some new empowering thoughts, affirmations, and actions that will move you forward. There are several powerful techniques to help, but always keep your thoughts positive and keep your inner critic in check. Take baby steps every day to align yourself with your unique gifts and goals to help you step into and claim your personal power. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. If you have a parent in their 80s, there's a chance you are thinking about retiring and enjoying some leisure time or doing some traveling. You may have raised your children and paid the last of those college tuitions and are feeling more financially free. A sudden crisis with your 80-something-year-old parent can change all of that in a minute. 
Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of HealthLink Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. We see these situations all the time, and some people are prepared, but many are not. What do you need to do proactively to best navigate a health crisis or a change in the level of care your parent may need? First and foremost, know what your parents' medical conditions are, what medications they take, and the possible side effects of those medications. Equally important is to know who all of their physicians are and what their contact information is. Remember, due to HIPAA laws, those physicians can't speak with you unless you are named as a contact person on that HIPAA form. In regards to legal matters, it is wise to have a power of attorney, a healthcare proxy document, and an advanced directive. It can save a lot of heartache to have the conversation about what your parents' end-of-life wishes are ahead of time. You should also know what type of insurance plan they have. It is a wise idea to get yourself authorized to speak to those insurance companies on your loved one's behalf. Do not leave this elder journey to chance. If you need a nurse advocate and health coach to partner with you, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. joining us i hope you found the show informative at change your attitude change your life we believe that knowledge is power take what you've learned apply it and live your best life now remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation if you'd like more information visit our website cyacyl.com that stands for change your attitude change your life while on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.